Hi, guys. Thanks for keeping on listening. We are away on parental leave right now. Yes, but we still wanted to make sure that you guys had content to listen to while we were away. So here is one of our oldies but goodies. Check out the website for some updated notes on this particular episode since our recording. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you when we're back. Welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is Creogs Over Over Coffee. Coffee. So last time we talked about the physiologic changes of pregnancy in the immune system as well as the hematologic system. So this is going to be part two of Nick and Faye's fabulous adventure through pregnancy or the continued physiologic changes of pregnancy in the cardiovascular, renal, pulmonary, and GI systems. I kind of like the first name better, truthfully. Let's start with the cardiovascular system. I think that's kind of a natural transition from where we left off. So last time we left on the fact that plasma volume and systemic volume increase overall in pregnant women. And as a refresher, the total gain in plasma volume is around 1.1 to 1.6 liters or 4.7 to 5.2 liters of total overall volume, 30 to 50% gain above non-pregnant women. We talked about this was due to the renin-angiotensin system, due to that underfilling of systemic vasodilation, and that the kidneys were saying we need to hold on to fluid. So thinking from here, we talked about vasodilation and decreased peripheral resistance. We also got to think that this decreased peripheral resistance has consequences for blood pressure overall. And in particular, we see this in the first and second trimester. Blood pressure is a product of systemic vascular resistance and cardiac output. And so if the resistance drops, we're also going to see a drop in the blood pressure. Also remember that during pregnancy at the beginning, you have this increased oxygen requirement due to maternal and fetal tissue. So ultimately, you do have some sort of compensatory increased cardiac output. But how does this cardiac output overall affect our cardiovascular system? Cardiac output, if we are going to increase it, there's two ways by which we can increase it. We can increase it with volume, which we're already trying to do by holding on to more fluid. But you can also increase it with heart rate. Pregnant women do tend to have a higher heart rate than average. And so tachycardia in a pregnant woman should be treated maybe closer to like 1-teens, 1-20s, as opposed to somebody sitting around the low 100s otherwise. Ultimately, between this increase in volume, increase in heart rate, decrease in systemic vascular resistance, we try and maintain an overall blood pressure that is close to normal, but can sometimes be decreased compared to a non-pregnant person. By the third trimester, we see our cardiac output increase by around 30 to 50%. And Nick, as we know, everything that happens in the heart eventually gets down to the kidneys and the kidneys have to respond. Mm. So with this increased systemic volume and this increased cardiac output, it means that the kidneys are seeing more renal plasma flow than ever. Um, And this can increase to 50 to 75% more. Um, And your overall glomerular filtration rate, your GFR, is also going to be increased by about 50% throughout pregnancy. And that's why we see the serum creatinine naturally fall in pregnant women. Mm. 
the other portions of the urinary system that we can also talk about is taking a look at the ureters and the bladder because you know, pregnant women have to go to the bathroom all the time. And it's so normal in pregnant women to see a little bit of hydro ureter. Uh, and that's because with the increased progesterone, there is decreased smooth muscle transit, meaning that the ureters just have less peristalsis. Mm. Um, and as you can imagine, when the uterus starts to get bigger, it can also impinge on the bladder and the ureter. And also that can lead to kind of a backup of urine as well. Got it. So there's a reason pregnant women need to run to the bathroom all the time. Yeah, exactly. So they, first of all, they have increased urine output from all of this cardiac output that the kidneys are seeing, and they have something that's essentially sitting on their bladder all the time. Yeah, does not sound pleasant. So with an enlarging uterus, the diaphragm can get displaced upwards around five centimeters or so, and that even that amount of displacement can cause a significant change in lung volumes. Now, cue the flashback to those curly diagrams in medical school about you know, which lung volumes, the inspiratory capacity or the expiratory reserve volume, those types of things. So this is the part of medical school where I was not paying attention, so you're going to have to explain this to me, Nick. I will do my best here. Think about the fact that if a pregnant woman is at rest and there's this fetus or this uterus that's pushing up on the diaphragm, there's not going to be much air that's left into the lungs. And so your reserve volumes are often what's affected during the pregnancy. One volume that's affected during the pregnancy is the expiratory reserve volume, or when you take a forced breath, how much volume do you exhale? So forced exhalation, how much air can you get out of your lungs before you can't stop anymore? And that makes sense. Your diaphragm is already pushed up, and so you can't really like push it much further to expel more air. The other thing that's affected as a summative form of that is the functional residual capacity. Or after a regular breath, how much air is left over in your lungs, the expiratory reserve volume, plus the residual volume, the air that's in your lungs that you just can't breathe out. Again, with all this upward pushing, there's just not more, there's not more room in there as there was before. As you alluded to earlier, um, progesterone also has an effect on the lungs, um, as well as its kind of cousin hormone in this mode, relaxin. So think about these two as increasing stretchiness of tissue, or basically just preventing like smooth muscle from contracting as well as it once did. More or less, these muscles surrounding the abdominal um, wall and the rib cage are going to relax and allow for the rib cage to expand more than usual. So actually, overall, your you know, lung volume, the inspiratory capacity, or the total volume that you can inhale, is going to increase because you basically can expand the chest wall more than you ever could before. Mm-hmm. Now. In sum, between the facts that your expiratory volumes are decreasing and your inspiratory volumes are increasing, really your total lung capacity is about the same. I mean, anatomically speaking, other than just getting squished and maybe having some more room up top, there's not any change to the lung itself for the amount of air it can hold. The vital capacity is about the same as well. And the vital capacity, again, is the amount of air that you work with, the stuff that's not the residual volume. So is deeply as you can breathe and as much as you can breathe out. Um, That doesn't change in pregnancy either. So overall, the tidal volume actually in the end is going to increase. And that's because you have more room to breathe from that increased inspiratory capacity. Kind of to summarize again, we've got decreased 
um, expiratory volumes, increased inspiratory volumes, and overall an increased tidal volume overall. But again, breathing is about oxygen. You have more tissue that you need to feed, and so there's more oxygen demand overall. There's an increased metabolic need during pregnancy. To meet the oxygen needs during pregnancy, you need to have an increase in the amount of oxygen you're bringing in. You only have so much you can bring in in one breath, so the other way you can increase this is via increasing your respiratory rate. Overall, you need an increased minute volume, that tidal volume times the respiratory rate. And so when the tidal volume gets maxed out, then you breathe faster. So pregnant women have a tendency towards tachypnea. With that increased oxygen onboarding, you also have increased carbon dioxide offloading. And if we go down to the level of now red blood cells and how that might affect them, with that increased CO2 offloading, you end up with a bit of an alkalosis. You end up offloading more of that acid. So pregnancy induces a respiratory alkalosis overall when you take a look at the acid-base status of somebody. And then I guess kind of thinking structurally about the airway and breathing and things, between this blood volume expansion, vasodilation, use of the upper airway during pregnancy, really less of an OB consideration, but maybe more for our anesthesia colleagues, you have to think about the upper respiratory mucosa. All of this stuff, because it's being used so much more and because it's getting so much more blood volume, can become edematous, can increase nosebleeds, can increase nasal congestion overall, and that can be annoying for your patients, but really more importantly, it can make it harder to intubate the pregnant patient. And so anesthesiologists will often talk about how pregnant patients have some of the most difficult airways, even though they tend to be generally very young and healthy patients. And it's because they can bleed very easily and aspirate and lots of badness can happen. With that, that means we are at our very last organ system that we're going to talk about, which is the GI system. And we're going to continue the trend of blaming everything on progesterone and relaxin. As you know, towards the beginning of pregnancy, a lot of patients can have nausea and vomiting, and that's due to the increased hormone levels of estrogen and progesterone. Pregnancy, we know, is also associated with things like heartburn, constipation, and that's, again, because progesterone and relaxin are leading to sphincter relaxation as well as less smooth muscle motility. So, so things like your lower esophageal sphincter can relax, leading all of those stomach contents, which are sitting there anyway, because your GI system is moving them through uh, more slowly. That's what's going to cause your heartburn. And last but not least, if you're not blaming progesterone and relaxin, you should blame human placental lactogen, which is what leads to increased insulin resistance um, and higher blood sugars during pregnancy, as well as slow return of your blood sugars to baseline. And Obviously, as we know, if your blood sugars are too high during pregnancy, you can have gestational diabetes. Fabulous. So we've made it through a really long review of all of the systems of pregnancy, Faye. This really was a fabulous adventure. What do you think about kind of summarizing what we've talked about in this second episode? Sounds good. So we first talked about the cardiovascular system. So we said that during pregnancy, we have increased cardiac output, and this is due to our increased systemic volume due to vasodilation and decreased systemic resistance, as well as increased heart rate. Got it. And then we kind of moved on to the renal system. 
Again, in the last episode, we talked about that renin-angiotensin system increased systemic volume, and we talked about that a little while ago with the cardiac system as well. But this also ends up affecting the kidneys. GFR increases, creatinine decreases. And then structurally with the kidneys, elevated progesterone level in pregnancies means that the ureters have less peristalsis due to smooth muscle inhibition. And more on the right side, the ureters tend to dilate just due to compression from pregnancy. And we next talked about the pulmonary system, where with the enlarging uterus, you're essentially pushing up the diaphragm, um, leading to decreased residual capacities. Um, however, your progesterone, your relaxin, are allowing your muscles to become stretchier, so your abdominal and ribcage circumference increase. So overall, you have increased inspiratory capacity and decreased residual volume within the lung. You have increased tidal volume as well as increasing respiratory rate to really meet that increased oxygen demand. And then last but not least, the gastrointestinal system, where we blame everything on progesterone and relaxin because that increased progesterone and relaxin can lead to lower esophageal sphincter relaxation, or really any GI sphincter relaxation, and less smooth muscle motility, causing those unwanted symptoms like heartburn, constipation, and then human placental lactogen, again, causes insulin resistance, which, if is pathologic, causes gestational diabetes. All right, everybody, thanks again for listening. And remember, blame everything on progesterone and relaxin. So guys, if you liked this podcast, take some time, rate us on iTunes. And if you have any questions or any specific topic like that you'd like to hear, or if we miss something on this episode, please let us know um, by emailing us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. That is spelled C-R-E-O-G-S over coffee at gmail.com. So one more time, I'm Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee.